0: The book of Joshua gives the account of how God led his people into the Promised Land. Though they continue to display a lack of faith in God, he remained faithful to the promise he made to Abraham and his descendants. Let's join Pastor Ross now as he guides us through the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 3, Wednesday night, making our way through the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures. Now, Father, as we come to a significant passage about a significant crossing and transition for the people of God crossing over the Jordan into the promised land so many profound spiritual insights pertaining to our own transition as you lead us Lord into the promise of your great inheritance in Christ for all your people so we pray that father we would understand that this is our story And uh, you have something for each person as we're listening with ears to hear and hearts willing to obey. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. So I've already given you a heads up that tonight's theme will be the crossing and the transition of God's people from um, the other side of the Jordan into the promised land. Now, everybody has to make important crossings in life. Uh, When we transition from one way of living to another, some of these crossings go smoothly and some um, not so smoothly. We are forced into transition, kicking and screaming. Uh, We think about middle school. We go from middle school to high school. And there's a crossing from high school graduation to college or to something, uh, a new vocation. Uh, there's the crossing from single life into married life. There's the crossing transition from just you and your spouse to a family. Uh, life is all about transitioning in one way or another. Think about it, a new job or a new area within your employment or a move to a new city or getting acclimated to a new church, uh, stepping into a new adventure. That I mean, it goes on and on. How many here would say, you know what, speaking of transition, I'm sort of in a transition myself right now. And you could just raise your hand. That's everybody, because we're all transitioning somewhere. And that is why tonight's chapter is very important. Now, the most significant of all transitions are of spiritual nature Now, as a result of the work of God in our hearts and lives, we leave, ultimately, the biggest transition of all. We leave the natural world for the supernatural world. We leave the kingdom of darkness for the kingdom of light and heaven's truth versus the world's way of doing things. We transition from a self-centered, self-absorbed, Um, lifestyle to the life of service to others and to the lord really from going from being dead in sin to alive in christ that's a big jump Uh, jesus called it this way in john chapter 5 and verse 24 very truly i say to you Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged or condemned, but has crossed over from death to life. I love that phrase, and this is what this is about. It's a beautiful phrase. It's a wonderful image. Crossing over. In fact, in Joshua 3 and Joshua 4, the term to cross over is used 24 times. Now, we're going to find some great insights here, as here in Joshua 3, the people of God are crossing over um, physically uh, the the Jordan River at flood stage, no less, to enter, enter the land of rest. Now, a physical crossing... Here, but it has deep, deep spiritual implications for them and us as well. So, for a little context, just as we recall, a promised land had been given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and their descendants 400 years earlier. God has now miraculously rescued them from the slave pits of Egypt. There's been 40 years of wandering in a holding pattern. Why? Not because God wasn't willing, but because they were unwilling to trust and obey. And because of their rebellious nature, they had to go around and around and around. Now it's time, the day has arrived, to cross over into the promised land because they're ready to trust and obey. Verse 1. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim, which means the Acacia Grove, and went to the Jordan, where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, your God, and the Levitical priests carrying it, You are to move out from your positions positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about a half a mile between you and the ark. Don't go near it. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Joshua said to the priests, take up the ark of the covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, "'Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, "'so that they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. "'Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, "'When you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, "'go and stand in the river.' "'Joshua said to the Israelites, "'Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God.' This is how you will know that the living God is among you. And that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the per- Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Jebusites, and any other ites. I threw that last part in there. Verse 11. See the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan. While the waters flowing down to the Sea of Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground. While all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. Well, when an amazing chapter, an amazing story, but what makes it most amazing of all, is, is that, according to the New Testament, it's your story. It's our story. First Corinthians, as I often quote, probably every time we go to these passages, First Corinthians chapter ten, verses one through four, says that these things occurred. As God was using historical events, using his people to paint a picture of what full grown salvation looks like. For us, who would be called Christians at the end of the age, and the end of the age starts when Jesus Christ was dead buried, and resurrected, and the Holy Spirit was given. Salvation was full-blown. There's nothing to add to that. That's the start of the Age of Grace. And everything that came before through the Exodus, with God dealing with Israel, taking them out of bondage and into the Promised Land, was painting a prophetic picture, giving the infrastructure, the theological infrastructure, of what salvation experience is all about. And so the Lord was using Israel here to uh, teach us what it is to transition with God, having faith and courage to follow after him. These are the things that we must No, because salvation is in in our own hearts and lives and God expects us to follow him as they were following uh, his lead to the promised land. Now, no one makes it to heaven without this kind of crossing and transition, but we continue to transition, don't we? Um, We go, as the Bible says, but we all beholding the Lord are being transformed into his image from glory to glory by the power of the Holy Spirit. So becoming a Christian is just the beginning. And then we're transitioning from one level of Christian maturity to the next. And so these principles in transition are very important. Warren Wiersbe, here's a quote, too many of God's people have the mistaken idea that salvation Being delivered from the bondage of Egypt is all that's involved in the Christian life. But salvation is only the beginning, both in our personal spiritual growth and in our service for the Lord. There remains very much land yet to be possessed. The theme of the book of Joshua is the theme of the book of Hebrews. Let us go on in. And the only way to go on in to enter the promised rest is through faith. And so that's what we're going to concentrate uh, tonight by just kind of crossing over with them. And let's pull out some things that might be helpful and insightful for our Christian lives. So first of all, if you're taking notes, the instructions are given here before crossing verses 1 through 4. Just to sum them up, Joshua rises up early. Israel moves closer into position to the river's edge, the bank of the Jordan. After three days, on the third day, the leaders are giving the orders. When you see the priest set out, carrying the Ark of the Covenant, follow. Um, You've never been this way before, so keep your eyes on the Lord, but keep a reverent distance behind it. That's the summation of the first few verses. Now, first of all, I notice that Joshua is up early, no doubt getting his marching orders from the Lord. Now, as your text tells us, Here he's up early why because joshua 1 verse 9 says well verse 8 keep this book of the law always on your lips meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it then you will be prosperous and successful so josh is up he's got the book of moses that moses has been writing He's got the words. He's meditating day and night. He's up early. Psalm 143, verse 8. Let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love, for I have put my trust in you. Show me the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. Joshua's up early. He's meditating. He's listening for the Lord. He's quieting his heart. Now, if you're not a morning person, you have to find a way to quiet your heart and, and, and pour out your heart before God. You must learn how to discipline your body so that the Lord can guide you and direct you and prompt you so that you can have a relationship with him. The greatest flaw in Christian living for all of us is the lack of effort to discipline ourselves to rise up early or to stay up late, or to take breaks during the day to present our requests and our hearts before the Lord. Now, to have a successful journey, to have a successful crossing, it begins by following God's lead. Now, why is the Lord out in front? Well, number one, because God's people belong to God. Now, This makes sense to me. We didn't will ourselves into being. We don't sustain our own lives. We don't own ourselves. We don't have the right to direct something that isn't ours to direct. So when you call yourself a follower of Christ, you have forfeited the right to self-determination. You cannot direct your own life and call yourself a Christian. You can't have your own plans because you don't, have your own life. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says, Don't you realize you don't belong to yourself? That you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? You don't own your own body. You would own your own body if you created yourself. But you didn't create yourself. You didn't will yourself. You don't sustain yourself. You're not directing your life because your life comes from another. Therefore, he has the power to direct it as he wills to because your life emanates from him. And so, of course, who's out in front leading the transition or the crossing? It has to be God. And so we, um, we see this so clearly here that he's out in the front. Um, I love Psalm 100 that says, Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us. We are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Well, it's all right to, with God, and, and according to biblical principles, to dream dreams and have desires and have, uh, you know, want to be ambitious as a Christian person. But all of those things have to surrender to the will of the Father. Uh, Jesus, at 13, knew, I've got to be about my Father's business And uh, that doesn't mean that we can't have dreams and goals and desires. It's just that our ambitions come under and are submissive and flexible to the will of God. And the will of God is made known that when we rise early or take a break during the day and we open the book and we hear his voice and we meditate day and night, then you will be prosperous because he can direct you. And so the second... Reason why I see the priests and the uh, Ark of the Covenant, which just is a symbolic um, um, a symbol of God's presence leading the way, is, is that verse 4 says uh, you don't know where you're going. This is all new ground. And think about that. Any progression forward in your Christian life is unfamiliar, uncharted territory. Every step you take to advance, if you're going from impatience to patience, you've never been to patience. So you don't know the way to get to patience because you're an impatient person. Every step of the way, we need the Lord to be out in front leading us and giving us his grace. And that's why he says, uh, you don't know where you're going. You don't even know what you're going to have for dinner tonight. You don't even know if you're going to be alive tomorrow. You don't know what you're going to find out happened tomorrow. So he says, God has to lead you if you're going to be successful in your transitioning to whatever God has for every single one of you next in your life. In order for you to get there, you have to let God be leading you there. You can't be out in front because you don't know where you're going. It's such a simple little verse there in verse 4. Man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. I love that verse. And so, you know, it's God's miraculous leading. And, and you know what I love? Uh, looking back on your own lives and your own journeys, how God works. I mean, you know, I've told you so many times my testimony. Uh, it's just an amazing, awesome thing to, to see God leading you. You know, to go from the disco in 1979, I walk out of the disco and I say to my brother, after we say a sinner's prayer that nobody let us in, we just said the sinner's prayer, we don't know any Christians and never been to church. Now what? So, well, the one person we know leading, God, God is leading us, is Dad. Dad is the only Christian we know. Let's go home. So we go home (laughs) We go home to my dad's house. We fly through the doors. We tell him our experience. We're saved. We're saved. We're confessing all of our sins, and my whole family gets down and on our knees. And we, my mother gets saved, my sister. We're all just filled with this joy. And now what? My My dad didn't have a church. And so he, he, he's calling, I need counseling, I'm just sitting on the, on the couch, I can't move forward, I'm all messed up, I'm reading the King James Bible, the Gideon's Bible, and I'm reading all these passages about burning in hell, and, and I'm just a mess. And so my dad tries to call, he's being led, he tries to call for some help, and he gets a mixed message, and it ends up being a great Assemblies of God church, and the youth pastor Steve Savlitch, who's my mentor to this day, 31 years later, get hooked up. And then one of the Bible college students from Bethany was attending that youth group, invited me to lunch up at Bethany. And so I went up to to lunch, and I sat around, and I said, this is where I need to be. And then I, I turned into a ministerial major. And then I graduated from there, and I thought, oh, God is leading me. I'm showing you how God is leading God, lead me. Well, I want to go to Thailand as a missionary. So I get appointed, and I start itinerating. And one of the churches that said yes to me was Santa Rosa, this cornerstone Christian that met at Rialto Theaters. And I drove up from Santa Cruz, and I spoke as I'm going to Thailand. You've heard this story before, some of you. I'm going to Thailand. And the the pastor says, hey, If you don't go to Thailand, you can come here to Santa Rosa. I'll give you a job as the college pastor. A month later, I decide I don't want to go to Thailand. I love that church in Santa Rosa. And I called him, leading, the leading of the Lord. And so I call him and I say, hey, I quit the Thailand thing. Can I come to your church? I love your church. And he says, yes, you're hired. You're the college pastor. I move over to Santa Rosa. I'm not even from the area. I'm the college pastor. Who's sitting in the front row of the college group? Barbara, my wife. She didn't know she was my wife at the time. I did. We went on three dates and I asked her to marry me. So my kids are like, Dad, how long did you know mom before you asked her to marry? And I said, Four years. Not really. (laughs) I said to the person who was talking to me at Cornerstone Church in Santa Rosa, you're 26 years old. Why aren't you married yet? I said, I haven't found a pretty blonde to sing a sweet song after I preach my words. And Now, I don't know, was it a a week later that I got interested in barb? The leading of God. I thought I was going to Thailand. This is the thing I love about the mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his step. All you need to do is be open, willing, praying, trying, trusting. And is it here? Is it there? And God, through circumstances in many different ways, will either confirm that direction or twist it and turn it yes it was god's will for me to come and speak at cornerstone church but not because i was a missionary to thailand because god said i've got a different kind of mission for you to find your wife and so you know it's just amazing to know that we have a god who's leading us let him lead you do your best. I mean, how do, how do, you know, it's easy for you to say, well, they had it easy. They had this box. It was a four by two by two um, chest. And it was the presence, the symbolic presence of the Lord. And the Levitical priests were, were saying, God is in this box present. And he is out a half a mile in front of us. Look out, he's leading. That's easy to see. How do I know when God's leading? Well, we have the word of God. We have godly counsel. We have circumstances that become clear. We have relationships. We have God leads us through peace and godly counsel, as I mentioned. We have convictions and consciences. And so it is something that I don't think we need to overanalyze. I think Christians drive themselves crazy what is the will of God for her? you? You know, whatever your hands find to do, do with all your heart. Whatever you do in word or deed, do it, as it unto the Lord. You know, if you, you kind of lost your way, just start getting up in the morning, reading the Bible, and serving him with an open heart, and he will lead you. He will not let you miss your way. As long as you keep your heart open to him. You will not miss the path. So I have got to move on. Successful crossings necessitate our following, the Lord's leading, because we belong to him. We don't know the way forward. And thirdly, even if we did, we don't have the ability to fulfill God's purpose for our own lives. So John fifteen five, Jesus says, hey, apart from me, you can do nothing meaning this kind of thing. He allows them for three days to be on the shores of a swollen river that's raging, a torrent of water, uncrossable, big barrier. There's no way. Okay, two spies got through. That's one thing. Two million people, a nation, with their belongings at flood stage. So he lets them see he backs them into a corner as he often does to show his glory through their weakness. There's going to be no boat for you. There's going to be no raft, no life vessel, no, no engineers to build some sort of bridge. This is going to be the hand of the Lord or it's not going to be anything at all. And you can, uh, you know, be happy about that or not, but it's not going to happen. Uh, Matthew 19, the disciples are listening to Jesus and Jesus is describing how hard it is for even rich people and, and people they admire to enter the kingdom of God. And, and they've just had it. And they just said, who then could be saved? The way you talk about how hard it is. He says, you know, with man, impossible. With God, impossible. All things are possible. And God is constantly maneuvering his people into places where for three days you've got to see the flood-staged waters of the Jordan. And for him to say, "Ha, Philip, how do you think we could feed all of these people? And Philip says, well, I don't know. Maybe if we had a year's wages, everyone could have a bite. No, he's brought us to a place where our weakness is evident And God's strength is exalted. Do not despise the places of weakness. And when he hedges you in at the Jordan, where you got three days to look at this thing and say, there's no way out. Because the second you finally get there and say, there's no way out but a miracle. He goes, thank you. Now, let's get to work. And so, you know, and by the way, it's pretty obvious to me that it's not till the third day that they can cross into the promised land. No one goes anywhere near the promised land until the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ happens. And then on the third day, people can go into the promise. And of course, that's why it's written there. You will not cross until three days when Christ raises from the dead then we're able to enter our rest. And it's just a picture, beautiful picture there. You know, First Peter 3 says, Noah's Ark came through the waters, and that water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when did the resurrection of Jesus Christ happen? It happened on the third day, now the veil is torn. We can enter into the promised rest. And so, listen, the whole point of God showing them there's no way across the Jordan is that there's no way your good works or anything else you can do can save yourself. It's going to be, have to be an act of God. God will do what you could never do by sending Christ to die in your place. And so moving on, really just kind of drawing out the last few things here. Um, So you see in verses 1 through 3, the presence of God leading through the priest carrying the ark that went first. And then uh, he says, keep a distance. And why keep a distance? People read that and they get kind of discouraged. The Old Testament is emphasizing the holiness of God and the sinfulness of men, and that you're going to need a mediator. He's setting us up for the fact that everything's not cool, Yet, we want to be cool, and you sprinkle blood on the mercy seat, the covering of that ark, everything's cool. But without blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. And so there's a veil in that temple, and that veil was 60 feet high, 30 feet wide, 4 inches thick, weighing up to 2 tons, requiring 200 priests to maneuver that veil. It wasn't like a sheer lace curtain in there. All right? He's saying the message of the Old Testament is step back. The message of the New Testament after Jesus breathes his last, the next verse after that verse that Jesus breathes his last, and the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now you may come in. It's been three days. You can forge the stream. Of course, I'm going to split that open for you. Come on in, take the land. It's yours, the promised rest. You see, nothing that we could do. And then he says, yeah, so the New Testament message is, hey, let's then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Now the message is not step back, but come forward. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. That's verse 4, the distance part. Now, then he says something that we never understand. Consecrate yourselves, because tomorrow's a big day. Now, if we are to take consecrate to mean from Exodus 19, uh, they were to bathe and wash their clothes. This is a great thing. We cooperate with our repentance to abstain from sin. But the cleansing that really is going to matter is the symbolic baptism that they're going to have. Not The second generation now through the Jordan, the first generation went through the Red Sea, which signified baptism, Christian baptism, and the waters of cleansing. So you can cleanse yourself from sin. That won't save you. But he says, cleanse yourself from sin and cooperate with me if you're going to walk with me. You need to be holy like I'm holy, or we're not going to transition to the next stage very well. Because you know what I'll be doing? I'll be chastising you. So, yeah, be, uh, be, do your part to cleanse yourself from things that you know defile your relationship um, between you and the Lord. And so that's really, uh, uh, consecrate yourself is symbolic of a new beginning, and wanting us to cooperate in his holiness and to keep ourselves clean, spiritually speaking. Lastly, the fun part, okay? Starting at verse 7 and also at verse 13, the Lord tells Joshua to tell the priests, start marching forward into the water. And as soon as they step foot in the water, it will part. Now, that's kind of funny. As soon as they step foot in the Jordan, the, the text says at verse 13, the waters will stand up in a pile. That just, that's just amazing. I, I really, there are a couple things I need to see on DVD when we get there. And that will be one of them. Just to see the little trout, you know, as you're uh, just, uh, can you imagine? Can, can you imagine ever doubting the Lord a day in your life after that? He said one of the reasons that he was doing this, was to uh, assuage their future fears of the difficulties that lay on the other side. In other words, he's saying, I'm doing this, look at my power, don't worry, it's a guarantee that you will emerge victorious on the other side, no matter what's waiting for you. The other purpose was to to affirm Joshua's leadership now in front of the people because Joshua, God is putting words in Joshua's mouth and Joshua's speaking and God is acting. And so God is affirming this leader. And I think that's what God does with leaders. He calls them, he gifts them, he gives them favor and so that people can understand, you know, if they're following a leader or not. Um, And so... Um, he's saying really let my present and past miracles in your life set your heart at ease for the challenges that lie ahead let my present and past miraculous interventions in your heart and life give you peace about what lies ahead none of the spiritual amnesia stuff it just you know, we walk through the parted sea, and then as soon as the waters go back over, uh, we forget it the next day. Let's not do that. You put, we put ourselves through so much. But it's the closing thought here, my favorite part, is when he tells the guys, "Walk out, put your foot in the water." Now, this isn't the way man thinks. We don't. We negotiate with God. We say to him, "Well, you part the water." and I'll walk through. But God says, no, you step in, and I'll part the water. Now, if you catch this, it's gonna save you a lot of trouble, and it will move you toward the place God wants you to be. Catch this. Number one, he says, no, excuse me, I'm God, you're the servant, I want you to trust me, show me that you trust me, and you're going to do the right thing. I said step, step. I told you I was going to split it. Do it. I've done all of this before. Take a step, but it's wet. Why don't you split it, and then we'll walk. I'm the Lord. You're the servant. I'm the creator. You're the created thing. So uh, you're the pot. I'm the potter. That the pot doesn't speak back to the potter and say, Where did you make me this way? You know, you gotta be careful because the potter just takes his thumb. <laughs> no, he didn't say that part. Number one, he says, Step out. It's the right thing to do. So God used this chapter to change my life and brought us to Petaluma, brought us to this area. We were in San Francisco. I was in a ministry. We planted a church. My time there was done. It was very obvious. Three little kids, four, six, and eight. It was time to move out of the city. The Lord really impressed upon both Barb and I time to go. And I kept waiting. Provide a place. And He kept saying, It's time to go. Uh, And I kept saying, Open a door. And he kept saying, it's time to go. (laughs) And so we got into this tug-of-war thing that one day was very clear. It's time to go. I read this, this very chapter, and the Lord said, step out. Now, I went to my property manager on Gary Street, and I gave him a 30-day notice. Mm -hmm. That day that he said, Step out. And she said, oh, you're moving. Oh, we're going to miss you guys. Where are you going? I went, oh, away. <laughs> we're moving. Yeah, I didn't, I, I didn't want to sound so silly. I don't know. In 30 days, I'm going to be somewhere, you know. And we were. On the 28th day, I ended up saying, look, I, I don't know yet. I do know we need to go, <laughs> you know. On the 28th day, uh, we got a rental in Petaluma approved. 28 days. So on the 29th day, we we had the truck. And on the 30th day, we were ready to move. That's usually how God works. Uh, Not always. But he says, step out, do the right thing. And we say, well, how is that ever going to happen? That's not going to work. He said... I told you to do this thing. And if you want to get to B and you're at A, you better do what he's asking you to do. And the more you just say, well, I don't get it and I don't see how it's going to work and, and why don't you do this first and then I'll know. You're going to stay at A forever. You're not going to go to B. Now, I was just—I doing some marriage counseling. I'm proud to tell you this story. the story. The, the couple were coming to faith. And through the marriage counseling, they came to faith. They were living together. But they came to faith big time, like, bing, born-again faith. Especially the, boy, the man, the boy. <laughs> so the young man says, I guess this means that we shouldn't be living together. And I said, yeah? You're Christians now. And he said, uh, I said, how would that work? And he says, It doesn't matter how it would work, it's the right thing to do. Young faith that just says, yikes, wow, there's a God and I'm in the wrong place. He didn't talk about income or what are we going to do and it's impossible and it's not practical. He just knows it's the right thing to do. And I'm just going to do it. He didn't say how or that both of them were just beaming. Oh, we're going to do it. And they were so happy. And they made an effort. And boom, there was mom's house. Spare room. And now, to do the wedding, to be able to say that testimony, it is just so wonderful. They didn't know how, but they were so happy and willing. When God says, this is the right thing to do, don't start crunching the numbers you crunch the numbers, do your due diligence. But if God is saying this is the right thing to do and you know in your heart this is the right thing to do, do it. Make the, put the foot down, then the water splits. and Not until you put the foot out and then the water went in and then it parted. This is, this is a pattern. This is a pattern and I see you all moving your heads. Yes, we've been there. Now, the 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 guy with the withered hand in Capernaum synagogue. He's got a withered hand. It doesn't work. It's palsied. It's withered. Jesus calls him out and says, stand up. He's standing up. He's got a good hand. And he says, "Stretch forth your hand." Now, if I were him, I would have gone like this. <laughs> because Jesus. You may be listening to God, but what you don't realize is that this one doesn't work. So uh, for you to tell me to stretch the one that's broken out, how is that going to happen? It doesn't work. Somewhere between the stepping and the yes, faith, trust, because you said so. I don't know how is a broken, withered hand going to work. Who's really stretching it forth? am, Am I doing it or is God doing it? We're both doing it. Cooperate with God. Even when you don't get it. When he speaks and says, Step out. This is right. I'll part. I'll help your hand. I'll do it for you, with you do it. Obey. You'll be blessed. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your love and your truth and oh, the word of truth that drives us crazy sometimes, but it's so good and nourishing to our hearts that just so how you are, help us to, to, to stop trying to figure you out and just walk with you in, in love and in truth and in simplicity of faith. You you don't want us to jump off buildings. You just want us to love the Lord with all our hearts, mind, soul, and strength, and to do the right thing. So help us, Lord, not to overcomplicate everything, but just to walk with you in love. In Christ's name, amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.